1: <laughs> grab your coat, grab your jumper. All right, picture the scene. It's midwinter. We're in northeast Canada in a place called Muddy Bay. And over there, just in the distance, is an isolated cabin sitting perched above the sea ice. Outside, it's minus 30. And inside, if you listen very carefully, you can hear a young baby crying. Just then the front door opens and a small man with glasses appears with an ax. He begins hacking away at the contents of a large barrel that sits outside. He, his wife, his young child are hundreds of miles away from anywhere, certainly from a hospital, completely reliant on themselves to stay alive in this harsh, bitterly cold land, but, He has a twinkle in his eye. Why should he worry? After all, this is no ordinary random guy. This is Bob Birdseye, the man who will go on to start a frozen food company that will change the world. He reaches inside the barrel and pulls out a large chunk of ice. Frozen inside are what looks like cabbage leaves. Dinner time, he calls. Probably not like that. Hello and welcome to another episode of Patented, brought to you from the wonderful history family that is history hit. I'm Dallas Campbell, thank you very much for your company. A few episodes ago, you might remember we covered the invention of canned food, which is really interesting and part of one of the stories i suppose of the birth of processed foods which covers so many different innovations and so many different ideas over time so consider this one to be part two frozen food opened the door to a whole new world of processed foods everything from well if you open your freezer and have a look fish fingers and chicken nuggets and Turkey Twizzlers, if you're Jamie Oliver, he was very fond of turkey twizzlers. I seem to remember frozen pizza, that kind of thing. But all of this begins with one single person. The person described above, Clarence was his name, or Bob, as you like to be called, Birdseye. Or as I like to think of him as Captain Birdseye. If you grew up in the UK, we can instantly imagine Captain Birdseye with a big beard and a sailor's outfit, etc. But like Thomas Edison, the great inventor who invented everything, he was as much an entrepreneur as he was an inventor. So yes, he invented the machines that made fast freezing possible, and it was fast freezing is the technique that makes frozen food possible. But more importantly, he managed to persuade the world that it needed a frozen food industry at all. And thus he created a multi-billion dollar market out of thin air, out of very cold thin air. And yes, he really did first think about this idea, freezing food whilst living in the terribly cold, freezing tundra of Labrador in Northern Canada with his wife and his young child. Although to be honest, um, we kind of did that little introduction as much to let our editor have fun with the sound effects button so i hope you enjoyed it my guest today is mark Kalensky. he is the author of clarence bird's autobiography and countless other wonderful books on food and cooking enjoy the episode Thanks very much for stopping by. Yeah, my pleasure. I've been so interested in reading this story. First of all, I've just got to ask you, just for our American listeners, you've no idea what Captain Birdseye is, do you? Captain Birdseye means nothing in America, does it?
2: No, it doesn't. I I happen to know, but in general, Um... Americans don't know. (laughs) Okay. Just for general Americans. So I'm trying
1: to think what the American equivalent, because you like to anthropomorphize, if if that's the right word, food. I mean, I guess things like Uncle Ben and Colonel Saunders and... What's, there, there was a woman as well, like a—is it Aunt May or Bessie May or Aunt Bessie or something? Aunt
2: Jamarma. That's the one. What does she do? Pancakes. Generally, in hindsight, seen as rather racist, but. uh okay. Well, I think we have we
1: have similar issues again uh, in the UK with with such things, but we do have Captain Birdseye. Right, mm-hmm. Captain Birdseye
2: was a fictitious created by British advertising, and I suppose that. Most Brits think that there never was a bird's eye, that it's just completely fictitious. But there actually yeah. really was a bird's eye. He wasn't a captain, he didn't wear nautical <laughs> outfits. <laughs> Don't
1: say that. Actually, I've got to say, you look a little bit like Captain Bird's Eye at the moment. You've got the beard. Because when I was a kid, Captain Bird's eye, he was this sort of sailor. And
2: he kind of had a kind of talk like a pirate. The real bird's eye was this very small, balding man with spectacles from Brooklyn. However, he actually was a really rugged and gutsy outdoorsman. Uh, Just didn't look the part. Well, before we move on, just briefly on looking the part, I
1: I just did a quick Google of Captain Birdseye. And no longer is Captain Birdseye a weathered, kind of gnarly character. They've got like a handsome Italian actor to play Captain Birdseye now. He's all handsome and dishy. And they're changing him. And we've now got a a woman playing Captain Birdseye. Ah. Times change. Times change, times change. But anyway, Captain Birdseye was a real person. And this, given this is a podcast about invention, I'm fascinated by the real Captain, not Captain Birdseye. His name was Clarence Birdseye.
2: Clarence, he always <laughs> went by Bob. But wait, he went by the name of Bob. How come? Well, it's not certain. When he was in college in Amherst, he was always capturing bugs and studying them. And his nickname was Bugs. They called him Bugs Birdseye. And somehow Bugs morphed into Bob. Okay, well, OK, well, just can you tell us a little bit about his background? Like, who was he?
1: Where did he come from? Why was he so interested in collecting bugs? And-
2: Born in Brooklyn from a prestigious legal family. His father and grandfather, ancestors, were, were famous lawyers. Yeah a fairly affluent home. And Bob was just always a bit different, you know? (laughs) I mean, he managed to sell in Long Island. He trapped a bunch of muskrats and sold them to somebody to get enough money for a shotgun Mm -hmm. so that he could shoot things and sell their furs. And uh, this is when he was like 10, 11 years old. When he was 11 years old, he put an ad in the papers for a, a school of taxidermy, where you could pay a certain amount of money and study taxidermy through the mail. In the entire school of taxidermy was just one 11-year-old kid. (laughs) Right.
1: That's really funny. I've actually got some old, I think, uh, popular mechanics magazines from like the 1930s, and they're full of adverts for taxidermy by post. That was obviously a thing. So he was a kind of serial entrepreneur, it sounds like. He had kind of fingers
2: and lots of pies. Everything he did, he tried to figure out how to make a profit from it.
1: Even I was reading about him. He had inventions for light bulbs, and he seemed to be part of that Victorian...
2: I don't know what he was born in the 1880s, which was the age of mechanical invention. Mm. All his inventions were mechanical, nothing electronic. He just spent his life inventing. Interestingly, his mother's father was also an inventor. Invented a, a, a kind of a trapezoidal shaped belt that revolutionized, you know, industry conveyor belts. I think that that sort of idea of being a
1: serial inventor is really key to this story because when we ask the question, well, who invented frozen food? It's about inventing the different things that create the infrastructure that makes things like frozen food possible.
2: He didn't invent frozen food. He didn't do the first frozen food. He invented a system that, first of all, produced frozen food that anyone would want to eat because all the frozen food before him was horrible. Can you just t- tell us about that? So tell us, so where are we
1: now? We're sort of early 20th century. There was such a thing as frozen food. Going all the way back to the Civil War, to the American Civil War. Okay, we've had frozen food. We've, well, we've had frozen food since the Roman times, I guess, presumably we people have used ice to...
2: Ice things, yeah, but not, not really frozen. But these, these were yeah. frozen foods. Uh, they froze very slowly at not very low temperatures and they were mushy and smelled bad and were horrible. At one point, they fed frozen food in prisons and then prison reformers got them to stop. <laughs> what was uh, actually, we'll,
1: we'll do a little bit of science. Why, if we freeze something slowly, why does it turn to mush?
2: Well, because of crystallization, the, the, which is what freezing is, turning water into crystals. And the more slowly crystals are formed, the larger the crystals. If you can form a crystal quickly, it's very small. So if you have small crystals, it's not greatly displacing the the thing that you're freezing. So it doesn't come out mushy. It comes out a texture reasonably resembling the fresh product. Now, you know, when bird's eye started this process, and, and what he would say is that, you know, I'm making frozen food that's just like fresh food. Well, Ooh. it wasn't just like fresh food, but relative to what frozen food had been before that, it was. So we're in New York. It's the turn of the century. We have
1: things like ice in New York for, for, for cooling and for keeping things fresh. From Brooklyn, New York, he ends up in Labrador, and this is kind of where the inspiration for quick freezing comes from. Just tell us about how, he, how that jump made. Why did he end up in, in Labrador in Canada?
2: He wanted to be an adventurer. He went to Arizona, New Mexico, when it was a, a wild territory. And he got a job with the government. It was called the, the U.S. Biological Survey, which later became U.S. Fish and Game. And what the biological survey did was they talked to uh, farmers and ranchers and asked them what animals they didn't like and found pesty and then uh, killed them. <laughs> and, uh, birds eye. I- found this wonderful job because he loved hunting where he'd just go out and he'd kill anything farmers didn't like. Killed a lot of coyotes, drove them almost to extinction. And then after that, he found a job, the project in Montana that was researching Rocky Mountain spotted fever and, and... discovering that it was caused by ticks on animals. So they needed tick samples. And so they hired him. Now was the age when the U.S. is starting to think about maybe we shouldn't kill everything because we're exterminating. They're starting to put a limit on hunting, which made a lot of hunters unhappy. But he had this dream job. He could kill anything he wanted and gather the ticks from it. So in one year, he killed... I think it was 717 animals. He mm. was disappointed because his goal had been 1,000 to Christ. collect chicks. But the thing is, these chicks led to a deadly disease, so nobody else wanted to do this job. It was dangerous. Then he picked up a job with a medical missionary off the coast of Labrador. The only way you could travel inland was by dog sled. After he was through with the medical ship, he went ashore and started a business raising fox for fox furs. And uh, so he lived in, in in Labrador year round, traveling by dog sled. Talked his wife, talked his pregnant wife, <laughs> moving in with him in the frontier, and you know there wasn't much to eat in Labrador in the winter time, except that the Inuits froze food for the winter. And they would, they would have had... So what kind of temperatures is Labrador
1: in the winter? I mean, it gets really, really cold there, doesn't it?
2: Very cold, very below zero Fahrenheit. So things froze very quickly. So he would, he, he would have noticed that the
1: Inuit would have fished. And actually, when they pull the fish out of the water, it would kind of flash freeze almost instantly on, on the ice. And they would be able to store...
2: Then you store them in barrels of snow. Yeah. And you dig it out when you want some food. Was there a point where he kind
1: of tried one of these fishes and go, hang on a sec, this food, this fish is not mushy. Why is this food
2: not mushy? Where any frozen food that I've had before tastes like mush. Real contemplation of this comes later. I mean, what he was thinking in Labrador is my wife and kid are eating well all winter, you know, and this is working. The Inuits taught me how to do it and we're living fine here. Then he moves back to New York and forgets all about this whole freezing thing, gets a job with a fisheries organization trying to improve fish markets and fish distribution, and tries different kinds of packaging and things. And then he starts thinking about Labrador, and couldn't we do the same thing here? And that's when he starts understanding that the key to the Labrador frozen food was that it was so cold and it froze so quickly. The story, be hypocryphal, is that he went to a store, spent $7, bought a fan and some salt, and a fish, I think a salmon, and some ice, and turned the fan on the ice on the fish and supposedly reproduced in miniature a Labrador winter. Okay. And that was his, his first fast frozen food. Not sure if that's what, true.
1: Well, we like apocryphal stories on this podcast, but what, what, what was the, we'll get onto the other things that, that he invented as well, but the, the, how did he manage to do the flash quick? freezing process like what machine did he devise because okay
2: fans and salt will get you so far but there was there was something that he built he worked on several different machines in the 19 this is now the 1920s by the 1920s there were a number of freezing machines that had been invented generally with conveyor belts because this is still industrial revolution that's how you do things you have conveyor belts and he built a machine with uh, plates that were frozen in a conveyor belt, he moved the food along the belt. He did this in uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts. Gloucester is uh oldest fishing port in the U.S., mm-hmm. you always have to say. <laughs> but it was a, you know, it was a big fish port, so he had mm. lots of fish. And he experimented a little with other things, because one of the uh, curiosities about Birdseye is he, he loved exotic food. He You know, some little animal would scurry by, and he'd think, hmm, wonder what that tastes like. <laughs> so he froze... A little bit of a lot of things, but he was mainly freezing fish and trying to sell it. Not going very well. There wasn't a great market for frozen food because everybody thought it was awful. And then along comes Marjorie Post, the daughter of the post-food guy. Who was a big, who, just tell us who the post-food
1: guy was. A big industrialist, wasn't he?
2: Uh, well, food. Vented post-cereal and, you know, some of the early industrial foods. Mm-hmm. And his daughter, who is married to Hutton, who is a famous uh, financier, was going around buying food companies to try to build industries on them. And she sailed her yacht. By the way, the thing Marjorie Post is famous for nowadays is that she built Mar-a-Lago. Oh,
1: really? A Crikey. Well, we won't hold that against her. Or maybe we will. She didn't know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It uh, sailed into Gloucester Harbour. And according to the story, which is probably also apocryphal, looking for something to eat, someone gives her a goose, she eats the goose. this goose was delicious. They said, did you know it was frozen? Really? Who froze it? Take me to this guy who froze it. This is probably not true. What we do know is that Marjorie Post sailed around in her yacht looking for local food companies to buy. And that's how she found Birdseye. And was she looking for new technologies as well, like new ways of not just foods, but... Industrialized food, yes. Because she and Birdseye and a lot of people of that generation believed that in- industrial was a great word. It was Industry was going to make everything wonderful. It, you know, Clarence Birdseye was a 19th century foodie. It's the opposite mm. of a 20th century foodie. Uh, it was uh, like, uh, let's get it farm to factory. There's none of that organic... It's a business. We want industry. Right. You would actually visit farms and give advice to the farmers on how to make their product more suitable for industry. We'll be back after this short break.
1: Hi there. I'm Don Wildman, host of the new podcast, American History Hit. Twice a week, I'll be exploring stories from America's past to help us understand the United States of today. Join me as I head back in time to witness Thomas Jefferson write the Declaration of Independence, head to the battlefields during the Civil War, visit Chief Poetin as he prepares for war with English colonists, tour Central Park before it was Central Park, and a city in Tennessee which helped build the atomic bomb. From famous battlefields to secret cities,
0: from familiar names to lesser-known events, I'll speak with leading experts from across the United States and beyond to bring American history to life. Join me
1: every Monday and Thursday for American History Hit, a podcast by History Hit.
0: Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined.
1: so she marjorie she saw the potential in frozen food which obviously had a bad reputation that did did bird's eye okay he's got this way of of freezing food quickly now that makes food palatable and keeps it fresh etc where did he go with it like was he because obviously you need trucks and you need
2: freezers in shops and you need all that Minutes before the stock market crashed in 1929, I mean, just before the stock market crash, uh, she hands him $23 million. <laughs> this was such an outrageous amount that there was actually a Senate investigation. They wanted to know why they had spent so much money on this company that clearly wasn't worth anything near that. Post and Hutton went to the Senate and said, we weren't paying for the company, we were paying for the Patents. And they built a new company, which they called General Foods. They called it General Foods because there was General Electric and General Motors. And, you know, the the dominant uh, industry in every field was called General. So they were going to be General Foods. And they had a huge amount of things to invent. Trucks, trains. They had to get store owners to put a freezer in their store invented these freezers that they still have with a glass top so that the customer could look in and see what was in there. And the really big challenge was getting people to try this stuff because, see, frozen food, the only reason anybody ever ate frozen food was that it was very cheap. It was Mm -hmm. awful, but it was cheap. So, first of all, it had this bad reputation. It was food for desperate poor people. And also, it just wasn't any good, and so the, the big challenge was to get people to try this food. And when they tried it, you know, they thought it was pretty good. How did they get people to try it? How did they turn
1: the fortunes of frozen food into something that was
2: middle class? And- Bob Birdseye personally would go into stores, stand by the freezer and talk to people. And he was a great talker. You know he's just a great salesman and he'd say madam you have to try this so this is delicious food i used to eat it in labrador labrador
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting that general foods or this new kind of massive industrial company that bought that owned by post that bought bird's eyes patents they kept the name Birdseye. Now, why why, why was that? Was there a reason? Was it just because they liked Clarence Birdseye as a character, as a personality? They
2: liked the name. I and mean,
1: they liked the name. Interesting.
2: The I mean, it's a, kind of an unusual and intriguing name. Yeah. He had this whole story about somebody in... Past centuries who had saved the queen by shooting an attacking bird in the eye. But he never said what queen or what century. <laughs> you know, very dubious story, but it's an, it's a, it's an odd name. I believe at first they used it with two words, bird's eye. And, and of course, nobody believed him you know when he's going around selling bird's eye food and he says hi i'm bob bird's eye come on what's your name there's a famous story he was in san francisco and he was trying to cash a check and they wouldn't cash it because he wouldn't give his real name he kept insisting (laughs) he was bird's eye
1: i've had that problem i know what it's like having having a daft name well just tell us how you know how did it change the face of food in america and and how quickly did it become sort of international as well how quickly did it spread over to to europe and other places
2: Clarence Birdseye was one of the first people to internationalize food. I mean, there had always been trade in food, but to make products with a whole international scheme. And it didn't happen overnight. It really, you know, so general food was formed in 1929. Frozen food didn't really take off in America, where it took off first, till after World War II, when they started building refrigerators that had freezer units in them so people could freeze food in their home it became huge in the 1950s and 60s mm. and I, well the 1950s i always kind of
1: think of convenience as being such an important thing all the television adverts of the 1950s were about convenience and speed and ease and,
2: and other appliances too not just freezers right. but everybody had to get the latest appliances Yeah, this is the world i, I grew up in <laughs> very strange world you know so it really changed you know i would say it changed the way we eat and saying that i have to say that i don't think i ever buy frozen food myself well it's kind of gone out of fashion a little bit now as we think about you know they think about
1: we're more conscious about the way that we eat and the way that we farm i still buy fish fingers i mean i love eating fish fingers oh we call them you call them fish sticks we call them fish fish fingers you might as well buy them frozen Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't buy it. And also like peas as well. There are certain success stories in frozen food. Like there's always a bag of frozen peas because they
2: taste great and,
1: and you can eat them all year round. And
2: Those are two examples of foods that took off because of freezing. I mean, there always was fish fingers, but when there were frozen fish fingers, then, you know, it just became so quickly available and
1: convenient. And easily stackable as well, because they're in boxes, so you can stack them easily.
2: This was part of Birdseye's genius. He didn't work just on the the, the science of freezing. He was very interested in packaging, and really a pioneer in individual packaging of food. In the old frozen food, you know, you would buy a side of beef. It was all packaged very well, and companies like DuPont were commissioned by Birdseye to develop packaging materials and it really was a whole you know a whole broad industry that came about so he must have made an awful lot of money
1: as part i mean obviously got the 22 million dollars he got from, 22 million
2: dollars just before the stock market crashes and then you get to keep it you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true so by 1930 he was one of the richest people around he died with over 300 patents And not all of them were for frozen food. He did some very important inventions in the field of light bulbs. And he also invented lots of things that nobody used. Like what? The automatic whale harpoon. Yeah, they've kind of gone out of fashion a little bit. Well, by the time he invented it, he was about the only one who was still whaling. Right. Bob would kill anything, you know? Yeah. And he was in Galveston, Texas, watching people fish. And this is how his mind worked. He said... Look at all the time and energy they waste on reeling up the fish. So he invented this reel. The fish hits the, hits the hook, push a button, whew, the fish has landed. <laughs> is- uh, nobody bought this because it kind of takes away from the whole idea of fishing, you know?
1: I suppose that's the thing to be a successful inventor. You're much better to come up with 100 things and maybe one of them will be good rather than
2: one thing. The sort of scattergun approach, right? Uh, well, he, you know, he was down in his basement in Gloucester, just constantly working on things. He thought dehydrated food would be his next triumph, and so he's drying out everything with an upside-down coffee maker in his basement. But unfortunately GIs were served dehydrated food during the war and nobody who'd been in the service would ever touch dehydrated food oh. again. The last thing he did was he worked for a company in Colombia, in South America, that took the waste from sugar mills and turned it into paper. This has become an industry in Colombia. It was it was hugely okay. successful and he was one of the pioneers in it. There you go. He was certainly, he was a
1: a Renaissance man. uh, You mentioned that Birdseye was fond of eating strange foods, whatever would sort of pass him by. He would go, I wonder if that's tasty. And there's this little bit from your book, which I want to read. and Maybe you could comment on. He said, and as was always his style, the more exotic the food, the more enthusiastically he received it. He wrote to his parents that a porcupine, he had eaten was unexpectedly tender in spite of the beast's age and sex. He described as the pièce de résistance of one of the most scrumptious meals I ever ate, a lynx That had marinated for an entire month in sherry and then was stewed and served with the sauce made from the marinade. He said he ate a polar bear and professed a particular fondness for the front half of a skunk. He informed his family horned howl or horned owl for Sunday dinner. Does that sound good? Well, it was good, no matter how it sounded. He had really bizarre taste.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the key word in that uh, quote is unexpectedly. Yeah. <laughs> it was unexpectedly good. So he cooked the whole thing up and ate it without any expectation that it would be good. <laughs> so they. But are they true? Like, did he really kind of marinate a lynx for a month in
1: sherry? Do you think he actually did that? Or was, did he just, was that for a show?
2: He did. He did all kinds of things. When he was in Arizona, he was out hunting with some people and they, they didn't have any food. And he gathered field mice and other rodents and and gutted and skinned each little animal and then stewed them. Made this rodent stew. He said it was delicious. Nice. No comments have been recorded from anyone else on this.
1: He would probably be given his own TV show these days. He'd have his own TV cooking show on Netflix, where Cooking with Birdseye, where he cooks crazy, crazy things.
2: One of his neighbors told me a story. He had this, uh, after he made his millions, he had this very grand house on a hill and his neighbors would see him out by the pillars in the front with this device for, for trapping starlings. And uh, uh, the neighbors would always watch him do this and wonder what he was up to. But they were pretty sure he was freezing them.
1: (laughs) Listen, we're sort of out of time. But just, Mark, I want to say a huge thanks for taking us on this kind of whistle stop tour of Captain Bird. mean, he's not Captain. I'm going to always call him Captain Birdseye, Bob Birdseye, Clarence Birdseye. But listen, thank you very much for that. That was brilliant. It was lovely to have you on. Just
2: tell us what you're working on now. Uh, I have a bunch of things in the works. I have a book coming out about onions, you know, the only pre- predator vegetable. Squirts sulfuric acid in your eye if you touch it. <laughs> uh, we look forward to that.
1: I recommend your book, Cod, if people are if people are interested in, in, in the world of the fish stick or the fish finger, depending on where you are. Well, listen, I'm going to go and have a fish finger sandwich, which I think is one of the great culinary delights of our age. Hey, I tell you what's really good... And it was Nigella Lawson, who's a TV chef here in the UK. She's terrific. And there's a really lovely recipe you can do with frozen fish sticks. You make a curry and you saute some onions, chili, garlic, ginger. Throw in some crispy fish sticks, which you then chop up, and a big tablespoon of mustard. Stir it all up. Fresh coriander. It's the most delicious thing you'll ever eat. Sounds
2: great. It's really good. Mark, thank you. Thank you. Nice
1: talk. OK, that's it. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. If I ever went on MasterChef, and you know in that bit when MasterChef where they say, right, cook something that really sums you up, your personality and your, how you like to cook, I'd probably do a fish finger sandwich, actually maybe a pot noodle sandwich but certainly fish finger oh we should do the invention of pot noodles as well anyway don't forget to give us a rating and a review I always struggle saying that because all human action now everything we do in the world now we're now asked to give ratings and review whenever you leave the house you're th- you have to do feedback forms etc. it drives me a bit crazy but here I am asking you to do the same so please do it helps others discover the show and the producers like it and uh, it's good for our egos so how about that. Thank you very much. And also, we love hearing from you, so do get in touch. Right, next time, the complete handbrake turn uh, away from frozen food, we're talking about C sections, as in caesarean sections, as in giving birth. Uh, or rather, kind of the story of another invention, which is the fetal heart monitor, which is the thing that actually made C sections the most common major operation in the world. I had no idea, but of course, when you think about it, so common now that why wouldn't it be the most common major operation in the world? Anyway, If you're pregnant, if you've just had a baby, if you're thinking about all this kind of stuff, this is especially for you. All will be explained in the next episode. Thank you very much for your company today and look forward to it next time.
0: Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy
1: getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code PATENTED at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.